G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. I wonder what you think when reputation comes into the equation of how you fit in. Perhaps it's just within your own family or within your broader community. What about your local church? What about the reputation of your local church in the community? And what about the reputation that God has in our community and more broadly throughout our nation, the way he's represented by so many different facets of media reporting, what's happening in the Hollywood movies, the depictions of God? Well, Bill Muhlenberg has been reflecting on reputations and especially around the reputation of God. Bill's back with us. Bill, welcome back to 2020. Always great to be here. Bill, what got you thinking about the reputation of God for this article you've written this week? Yeah, well, if you're uh, like me and you start reading the Bible afresh every new year, you'd be somewhere in the Pentateuch. So that means you'll read a lot about Moses, for example. And yeah, after reading again three accounts of how Moses certainly had concern for God's reputation, I thought, well, I got to do an article on this one. Uh, You know, it's easy for all of us to have a fear of man and worry about what men think of us. But uh, Moses was sort of a different kettle of fish. His primary concern was, you know, what about God? What about his reputation? Is he being glorified or is he being, is his name being dragged in the mud by the way we, God's people, operate So I mention in my piece three, at least three different occasions in which, yeah, there were the usual Israel complaining and griping and murmuring, uh, God getting a bit impatient with all that, ready to wipe them out, uh, you know, start afresh, maybe even with Moses. And in all three occasions, uh, Moses prayed, interceded, asked God, hey, wait a minute, God, don't do it, please. Uh, you know, it's it's not that I'm, you know, worried about being the new top dog here. It's it's your reputation. What will the nations think if, you know, here is God big enough to drag the people out of Egypt, but couldn't bring them into the promised land. What would the other nations think? So that was on top of what Moses was considering, God's reputation, God's glory. He knew if God just wiped these people out, it really wouldn't look as good for God and his reputation. So, yeah, I put those three episodes together. And then, of course, we can ask the obvious questions about ourselves. Do we have that same concern that Moses had? As you say, it's not just one story. There's three in a short space and talking about Moses. Mm. Is there a sense here, Bill, that teaching the people to be concerned with the reputation of God is actually a part of a discipleship process, growing to maturity, do you think? 
Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, obviously, God should be first in everything, uh, in our priorities and our decision making and, you know, what we do, what we say. And we hear so much and read so much about the glory of God, right? What is it? The Westminster Confession of Faith. What is our greatest uh, object? Uh, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So there's something to that, but I think a lot of people get lost a bit on, you know, what does it mean, God's glory? It sounds kind of nebulous or even, you know, cloudy. We think of the fire and the fire by night, the cloud by day that went along with the Israelites in the wilderness, and that was described as part of God's glory. So it still can be hard for us to get a handle on. So again, if we think of this idea of reputation, what people will think of God as a result of me and my Christian life, my uh, walk with the Lord, uh, I think that makes it more practical, more realistic. And what I do in every day, really, from uh, you know making the breakfast to driving on the highway is what I do, bringing glory to God, uh, making his reputation higher and greater, or is it kind of dragging it down, making him look like, uh, you know, much less than who he is? So it's a very practical thing. And I think, yeah, any kind of Christian discipleships should be focusing on that very aspect. So you've got these instances where God becomes angered by the people to a point where he is ready to wipe them out, smiting the nation, some people might say. And you've got God relenting. Sometimes I think there's even a reference to God repenting and changing direction. Uh, Mm. Any thoughts here on how that actually plays into our understanding of perhaps the anger of God and the mercy of God? Yeah, well, you certainly see both because God is holy. He has to maintain his own reputation, even if his people won't. He has to. Um, as my cat comes lumbering my way. Um, so um, he has to uh, take action when it's needed. Um, but in all three cases, when uh, God was ready to wipe out the people, as you say, well, the old King James word uh, repent, uh, probably the modern versions have it a bit better, as you say, relent, uh, kind of have a change of mind, a change of heart. I mean, God doesn't sin. So as such, he never needs to repent. So maybe that King James word can be a bit misleading. But yeah, it was because of the intercession of Moses, his pleas, getting on his face before God and saying, God, your reputation is going to take a hammering. All the enemies of you will say, see, this God isn't such a hot shot after all. So it was because of the prayer and intercession of Moses that God relented or had a change uh, and, uh, you know, held off at least uh, for a while. I mean, we know that eventually the Israelites were judged, right? One of these incidents had to do with the 10 uh, negative reports of the spies who went in and the two positive. So at the end of the day, only those two uh, Israelites who gave the positive report after spying out the land of Canaan, only them were allowed to go in. Even Moses, because of his disobedience later on, he couldn't enter in. So, in a sense, he still had the judgment. Uh, you know, it may have been deferred or delayed. 
but certainly the people who kept complaining, kept murmuring, kept disobeying, well, they were uh, judged. But God, yes, is merciful, uh, uh, gracious, slow to anger. And, uh, you know, he always looks for people and their repentance when they bring it. Uh, but often, sadly, we don't. So sometimes those threats do have to be carried through. Of course, for the New Testament believer, we know the ultimate judgment fell on the Son of God. He was judged. Our sin and what we deserved was put on Christ so that if we come in repentance and faith, uh, we too can be spared of that judgment that we deserve uh, because of God showing us his rich mercy. So there's all kinds of practical lessons, again, for the contemporary Christian. And of course, as you say, there are instances of God's judgment being fulfilled. And Christ on the cross takes that judgment upon himself I imagine that we can't ignore the fact that there will be a future judgment again, and yep. that one, no one's going to be able to ask God to relent. He's already said what he's going to do, so there's a responsibility on believers. I want to yep. ask you, Bill, though, you've got Moses who is defending the reputation of God. How much then ought we be thinking about defending the reputation of God today? Yeah, well, I'd say Moses is a great role model. Uh, everything he did in this regard, worried about what people would think of God, that should be our concern as well, no question. Uh, I began my article by saying, you know, there's that famous passage in, I think, Proverbs about the fear of man brings a snare, right? We often are too much concerned about what people think of us. But it says the fear of God brings life also in Proverbs. So instead of saying so worried about fearing what others might say and what they think about us, we should be fearing God and worried about his thoughts and what he thinks about us. So, yeah, Moses provides a great example for all Christians today. What is the thing that we most care about is our own reputation, what people think about us. Or are we really thinking, God, what are people thinking about you, right? When a scandal breaks out in the church or another, you know, and there's always plenty of those, aren't there, where some minister or leader gets caught out in some sin. Well, the name of God gets dragged in the mud in that case. So uh, our concern should be, wow, what is the world going to think? What are non-Christians going to think when they see stuff like this happening so I should mean at least two things. One, we pray more for our leaders, right? Pray that they remain faithful and obedient so that the name of God isn't dragged in the mud, but probably as important, ourselves. Pray for ourselves. Lord, am I doing anything that's bringing you, instead of glory, bringing you shame and dishonor, right? So we need to think what we're doing on a daily basis, how we treat others and so on. That's all part of this equation of bringing glory to God and being concerned about his reputation. We all might be a little worried if the reputation of our church is the same as the reputation of God. Because some will say the church reputation is sullied. Uh, but as you say, we actually do take that personally and we do take that in some sense corporately because mm. if we're going to live our lives to the glory of God, we are concerned about his reputation. Comes back to our own behaviors, perhaps even the way our church 
appears in our communities, the behaviours, the attitudes, the way the church presents itself. Is this all wrapped up, do you think, in in pre- in preserving or promoting the reputation of God? Yeah, well, again, I think it's all part of the deal. And again, it can be all very practical on a personal level, right? If you're living with a couple of roommates, maybe some are non-Christian, Somebody makes you some toast, burns the toast, you get all angry and outraged, right? Uh, Not exactly a good witness, not exactly a good testimony of what a Christian should be, you know, a little bit more patient, a little bit more forgiving, even for the burnt toast. And on the church level, again, it can be quite practical. Maybe there's problems with the church parking lot, right? Uh, The neighbors are getting upset because there's cars spilling out everywhere and parking where they shouldn't be and clogging up the streets. So even that as a practical illustration is a way in which we can either, as you say, sully the reputation of God or uh, improve upon it. So, you know, how a church team handles that with the next door neighbors just sorting out practical things like parking so we don't put offside unnecessarily the neighbors, presumably most of whom are non-Christians. Again, a very practical thing, but it goes back. We want to bring glory to God. We want to bring honor to Him. So in our daily lives and very everyday situations, how we react, what we do can have a real impact in that issue. Our behaviors, our actions actually do speak volumes. They speak of the reputation of God. And we're all on a learning curve there, Bill. But no doubt there'll be listeners who'd like to check out some of the situations that you spoke of, those three instances in the early books of the Bible. Uh, The article I can point listeners to today is called Whose Reputation? Whose Glory? And you'll be able to find that at BillMuhlenberg.com or simply Google Culture Watch One Word. Bill Muhlenberg, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us once again today on 2020. Thanks again, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.